Ellis East Elementary School walkthrough, May 18th. The front gate. The building is surrounded by a wrought iron fence with a double gate at the head of the path leading to the front door. The gate stands about seven feet tall and has elaborate ironwork with the school's name in gold leaf calligraphy at the center. The fence is about four and a half feet tall with pointed spikes on top to discourage climbing. During the years the school was in operation, the gate was locked promptly at 8 p.m. every evening unless there was a school function. It opened again at 5.30 a.m. the next weekday morning. There is an additional padlock on the gate now, likely to prevent anyone from accessing the schoolyard. The playground is still standing and probably constitutes an attractive nuisance in the eyes of the law. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, Assistant Professor of Architectural History and Preservation, Hollingsworth University. May 17th, 8 a.m. Recorded in the living room of my apartment over morning tea. Okay, I can do this. This afternoon, I'm traveling to my parents' house where I will begin the search for a new home in the town where I grew up. Due to my grandmother's recent health difficulties and the resulting move to assisted living care, it makes much more sense for me to commute the 45 minutes to work while living closer to my family. Plus, my current apartment was intended for students, and I feel like I'm extending the grad school way of life, which really is not compatible with owning three dogs, especially when one of them is a full-grown Labrador retriever. Look, I don't relish the thought of returning to Ellis Field, and I was kind of afraid that this was inevitable when I accepted the job at Hollingsworth, given how close to home it is. But my family needs me. Plus, with my upcoming year-long sabbatical and this summer, I'll have 15 months to settle in. Today's agenda. I have to proctor my class's final exams at 10 a.m. My bags are packed. The dogs can spend the exam period in my office and I can leave directly from campus around noon with any luck. May 17th, 2.09 p.m. Well, I wound up getting a late start due to a student oversleeping and arriving half an hour before the end of the exam time. And then, after she finished, I got cornered by Lavinia Morgenstern on my way to pick up the dogs at my office. I'm now about to arrive in Ellis Field, and I figured a voice memo was in order just to mentally sort out what needs to be done. Remember to pick up the groceries for Nana before going to the assisted living facility. Call mom. She may have some errands to run. Ask her to pick up realty listings from the post office, as I am not moving back into my childhood bedroom. Order pizza for dinner. One medium taco pizza, one medium mushroom pizza, and one medium pizza with cream cheese and marinara sauces, pineapple, and banana peppers. Compile notes before the meeting of the textbook adoption committee. <laughs> Remember to email members of the textbook adoption committee about a firm stop time for the meeting. I don't think anyone wants to relive what happened last spring. Review disciplinary committee cases. 
If they're all youthful pranks that do not rise to the level of suspension from campus, propose just assigning an essay on good citizenship. Order dog licenses. Needed information. Contact info, which I have. Dog names. Oolong, Earl Grey, and Glen Getty. Breeds. Dachshund, Chocolate Lab, and Pembroke Walsh Corgi, respectively. Good boys all. Yes, you are. Huh, that's interesting. The East Building is up for sale. It's weird how much I love that building considering how few friends I had in those days. Would it be odd for me to call up and express interest in buying it just to look around one more time? At any rate, follow up on that. That building was a big part of my childhood. It wouldn't hurt to take a walk down memory lane. Plus, and perhaps more importantly, I study educational architecture of the Victorian era and the building was built in 1885. I could probably take some really good notes for research purposes. Well, I'm about to arrive at my parents' house, so that concludes this entry. Oolong, stop whining. We'll, we'll go for walkies in a minute. May 17th, 4.15 p.m. I'm settling in for a while in my old childhood bedroom. Having talked to my parents, I have a few updates and then I'm ready to sit down with the local real estate listings. First, apparently a coffee shop has opened up here in Ellis Field. I didn't think there would be much of a market for it, given that it is a town of 500 people and most of the local establishments serve coffee in the standard orange for leaded, brown for decaf glass pots, like that diner in Twin Peaks. I can't imagine most of the locals going in for fancy coffee. Still, this is a godsend for me, and it makes moving back here slightly easier. There's probably a joke in there somewhere about educated elites and coffee snobbery, but my entire dissertation was written at a coffee so shop, so this will make it much easier to write my monograph during summer break and throughout my sabbatical. I mean, I always go for tea, but still. Second, Marianne is handling the sale of the East Building, and she is happy to give me a tour without the pretense of being a potential buyer. The tour is scheduled for 11 a.m. tomorrow. She's even willing to let me walk around and record my thoughts on my own. It's not technically for research yet, but given my work has focused on this area in the past, this could very well be fruitful. I'm thankful that my mother's best friend is the one handling the sale, or it would have been really hard to get access to the building. Now to review the local real estate listings, and then to make my assessment of the disciplinary committee cases. I should have asked Marianne about the local listings when I called her earlier to talk about the school. Well, I guess I can talk about that tomorrow. Mom picked up the local brochure from the post office. Not much here. Kind of to be expected from a town this size. Ah, the Corelli place is up for sale. Pros. It's a nice house. It's in town proper, thus closer to mom, dad, and the coffee shop. Cons. Reliving the memory of falling down the stairs at Shannon Corelli's end of junior year party. Every. Single. Day.
Hmm. There are a couple of other houses here that seem to have promise. I'll circle them and talk to Mary Ann tomorrow. Hollingsworth University Disciplinary Committee Record Review. Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, Committee Chair, reviewing cases for spring semester. Case 2020197. Three members of the Delta Omega Delta fraternity were caught letting six guinea pigs loose on the first floor of the Humanities Building. I could see how that might be kind of funny, except for the risk for the harm of the animals, and wait a second. The guinea pigs were in plastic balls and in no danger from the incident. Most students and faculty appear to have been amused by the prank, though Professor Lavinia Morgenstern was unamused and demanded some form of punishment. Okay, I think we can safely assign an essay on appropriate behavior and move on here. Campus parking violation, campus parking violation, overdue library materials. Is that even in our purview? Parking violation, unauthorized roommate swap, parking violation. These will be very easy to address. Um, what do we have here? Case 2020215. Four students caught vandalizing the statue of the university founder during finals week. Specifically, the students dressed the statue in a brightly colored clown wig and matching costume, complete with a rubber nose and oversized shoes, Professor Morgenstern, of course, stated on the record, oh, here we go, that this incident made a mockery of the university's proud traditions and heritage. She demands students face disciplinary action. Have we considered losing the cases she reports? Again, I think an essay is the best course of action here. Honestly, I may tell them they get points for creativity. This concludes disciplinary committee review. And now it's time for me to go pick up the pizza. May 17th, 9.30 p.m. It's been a nice evening. Pizza Depot retains a lot of its small-town charm. They still appear to be purchasing surplus pizza boxes from other restaurants in bulk. Today, we've got Artie's Pizza in Covina, California, and Pizza Bono in Plattsburgh, New York. I know Dave is just being frugal when he does this, but I find it really charming. After dinner, we took a couple of slices of pizza to Nana, and we stopped for ice cream along the way. She seems to be adjusting really well. The nurses say her hip is healing and she's doing all of her exercises without complaint. She also seems to enjoy the activities they offer and the facility is beautiful. Between the terrace cafeteria and the aquatic center, I almost asked if I could move in there myself. That certainly would solve my housing questions. In preparation for my tour of the East Building tomorrow, I am going to record some field notes on the building's history and my own history with the building. That way, if this does turn into research, I can start here. History of the Ellis East Building The Ellis East Elementary School Building stands at 201 East College Street in Ellisfield, Ohio. Construction of the school was completed in 1885 
as evidenced by the year on the edifice of the front tower. The building was originally a normal college to train teachers, but when its founders decided to consolidate with another school and open a full-fledged university, the other school had more land to expand to a full college campus. So they gave the Ellis Field building to the town for use as a public school. From 1907 to 1955, the building served as the primary and secondary school in Ellis Field, with students in grades 1 through 12 attending. In the 1955-1956 school year, the school consolidated with three other districts which made up the surrounding rural area to form the Ellis Unified School District. From that point until 1968, the district ran two elementary schools with grades one through six and later kindergarten in what were now known as the East and South buildings, the former of which being the building in Ellis Field and the latter being one of the rural buildings. Students then moved to the North building for grades seven and eight and then to the West building for high school. This made use of all of the buildings from the consolidation. In the summer of 1968, the South building was destroyed in a fire. Consequently, the district decided that all students would attend kindergarten through third grade at the East building, fourth through sixth grade at the North building, and seventh through 12th grade at the West building. At this point, the term West building became largely disused and it was simply referred to as the high school. In the late 1990s, the North Building needed costly repairs and had become inaccessible for students using mobility aids. So the district decided to build an annex for grades four through six attached to the high school. More recently, in 2015, the school passed a levy to begin construction on a new K through 12 building, which subsequently opened in 2017. This move was welcome in the community as the entire district was now housed in a single building. The old high school had to be torn down to make room for the new building, but the school district decided to retain the old Ellis East building over the past few years for community activities. Recently, the district decided to list the building for sale as they have largely stopped using the extra space and are concerned about liability for the building. This concludes the building's history as reconstructed from family and community member accounts and personal experience. I will verify dates and factual information with local records. Personal history with the Ellis East building. As for my own history with the building, you might call it a love story. I was, well, a romantic child and I loved the feeling of history that enveloped me as I walked through the halls of the building. Perhaps that's why I studied architectural history and preservation of educational buildings. My earliest memories of the school came before kindergarten. For a while in the 1980s and 90s, the local branch of the public library shared facilities with the school library, and as a family of readers, both mom and nana worked at the library. The public library was only open after school, except during the summer, so when I went into the building, the halls were empty and dark. The floors of the school were polished wood and marble. The library had rich carpet and a door connecting to the music room with an old-fashioned keyhole. I used to peer through. I was convinced I saw shadows of people in the empty room. On the second floor, 
the hallway where most of the classrooms were located had a sloping ramp rising about six feet from the back half of the school where the library and music room were located. I remember exploring the hallways, looking at student artwork, trying to read the names of the teachers on each door. Although I was alone, I never felt like I was, but I also never felt afraid. The whole building had the feel of a still life. No one was there, but you got a profound sense that people whose lives played out in the halls of the school every day were watching. Even now, when I think of the school, I think of it this way, the building of those library visits. All of this has me so excited to go back to the school tomorrow. I know it's been empty for a couple years, but Marianne says the school has been very well maintained. I have to meet her at the Iron Gate in front of the building at 10 a.m. More notes on this tomorrow? I'm not sure I'll be able to get any sleep. I'm so excited. Ellis East Elementary School walkthrough, May 18th. Marianne has arrived and opened the gate. Beyond the gate is the tree-lined path to the front door of the school. Facing the path directly, the playground is to the left of the building. Every morning for four years, I walk this path, either to go to school or to spend the summers in the library with my grandmother. I step onto the path and there is the sense memory, the muscle memory, the feeling of having returned after so long, but also having never been gone feeling of being embraced. Forgive the sentimentality, but in many ways, I feel like I am coming home. The path leads to the front steps of the building, which are gently rounded and get smaller as they lead up to a recessed portico directly under the front tower of the building. On either side of the tower, there are two windows on each floor. The edifice of the tower includes brickwork inscribed with the year 1885. Inside the portico is the main entrance of the building, leading to the front vestibule. Lavender Evening Fog is a fiction podcast written by Victoria Dickman Burnett, directed by Ben Baird, and produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Federinko. Executive producers are Ben Baird and Victoria Dickman Burnett, and the voice of Anna Georgina Plume is Victoria Dickman Burnett. The Lavender Evening Fog logo was designed by Allison Dickman. This episode was brought to you by those little moments that have no logical explanation, but you know you didn't imagine. This episode pairs well with a blend of Genmaicha tea and lavender. Lavender Evening Fog condemns white supremacy and acts of violence that have recently been perpetuated as a result. We stand with Black Lives Matter and organizations doing critical work to fight hate within our communities and the world at large. While the town of Ellis Field does not exist in real life, it is based on a community in the Black Swamp region of Ohio. Like the rest of the United States, this is colonized land, and it is the traditional land of the Kickapoo, Peoria, Kaskaskia, 
Shawnee, and Miami peoples.